Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. On today's episode, it's Rove McManus time as we dig into the fourth episode of the new Doctor Who season, Flux. My name is Justin Hamilton and I'm not blinking even though I have dry eyes here at Big Squid. great to have Rove as a guest on this show and it is doubly so when it is to discuss such another great episode of Doctor Who. I love the Weeping Angels and they're up to all sorts of mischief in this new episode. I'll bring in Rove in just a second but uh, this is what we're looking at for the Big Squid podcast this week. Uh, Tomorrow I'll be welcoming Garth Jones back with his segment Past the Amel where we look at the great history of the Osploitation genre and this time we're looking at the film Dark Age that first came out in the 80s. I'd never seen it before. Garth is really introducing me to some stuff that is uh, really fun to uh, dig into. So that'll be tomorrow on the Tuesday. Then on Thursday and Friday, we have a double episode of Space Podacy. That's the limited series that Ben Elwood and I are doing, which is the two of us looking at our favourite science fiction films. And of course, there's going to be three of us. We've brought in a guest, and that guest is ABC host Richard Feidler, and he's joining us to discuss the Clive Owen masterpiece, Children of Men. It is a scorcher of a two-parter, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Thank you for all of the great feedback to last week. I had a lot of emails, a lot of new subscribers, a lot of new people signing up to the Patreon. Uh, Turns out, a lot of you were very excited to rewatch E.T. I think uh, we were all a little bit guilty of this, but you kind of remember E.T. in broad strokes. And then when you rewatch it, you suddenly remember that it's actually got a lot of depth and it's got a lot more layers than you remember from your childhood. And it's been not only fantastic having people 
check it out again, but quite a few of you were really angry at me because <laughs> you ended up crying a lot and, uh, you know, I get it. I had the same thing. I was sitting there watching it and it just completely took me by surprise as to how emotional I found it. And I guess the thing is, is that when you get older, you suddenly bring a, a different level of experience to uh, the, the sadness that you find in certain aspects of a story. So it's uh, it hits you as a kid and then you get older and you just find all this new level to it and oh, I'm so glad that you enjoyed that podcast and even more so went back and rewatched the film also great feedback to our Patreon only episode with comedian Cameron James like you I learned a lot about Cam from that podcast <laughs> the music stuff was so good and I'm just wrapped that you enjoyed it so much. It was so much fun to record too. Uh, when you sign up to our Patreon, part of the deal is you have an episode of the podcast dedicated to you. And today's shout out goes to Megan Seeler, who has consistently sent me fun emails all the way from the States. And actually in one of her emails, she wondered if Rove was my son after seeing a photo of us together. And I took that to mean Rove looks super young, which he does, rather than me looking like I am falling apart, which I probably am. But uh, thanks for supporting the podcast, and thanks for supporting me, Megan, even if you do think I look 68. Uh, Oh, and Megan, heads up, I have finally had time to start Ryan Hughes' new book, The Black Locomotive. Uh, I don't know if I'll have time to review it in this podcast before the end of the year, but uh, we'll definitely... uh, Uh, be recorded and produced next year so that means you have a bit of time to start the book and you can uh, let me know what you think of it and we can uh, discuss that yes Megan and I have been discussing books uh, through the Patreon so uh, Megan heads up I've started I'm 50 pages in and it's great great and I can't wait to hear your thoughts on the new book and everything else we discuss. Uh, If you'd like to join our gang head over to Patreon and look up Justin Hamilton Big Squid and you'll find all sorts of extras and a tier that suits you. Okay let's bring in my son (coughs) I mean Rove McManus as we discuss the predicament the doctor finds herself in the latest episode of Doctor Who The Village of the Angels. Can you state your name, please? Claire Brown. We're missing a little girl. Ten years old. It's happening again. Was that scarecrow there a minute ago? Everyone in the village disappears on the 21st of November, 1967. Tonight. Gerald, what's going on? Gerald, please! I'm not blinking! know that Jodie Whittaker has filmed her final scene and I don't know about you but when I know that's happened it always makes the storyline that I'm watching just pop a little bit more because now we know there's real danger because she or whoever's playing the doctor is coming to an end so every cliffhanger feels even more so doesn't it yeah and never mind that we know Jodie's leaving but is Dan, you know, is uh, John Bishop leaving at the end of this run of Flux? Does does he stay on for the next couple of specials? Same with Yaz. Yeah. Um, so that's part of it for me as well is there's been no announcement that any of our time-travelling companions are sticking post 
the regeneration. Yeah. And it would kind of make sense that you'd farewell a showrunner and the actor playing the doctor with just her being by herself, a la, you know, David Tennant and many others. Right. So, um, so I'm the same. It's, it's, it really feels like all bets are off. And when you're dealing with a story on this scale, yeah. Yikes. <laughs> Yeah, it's full on. That, that was one of the things that I actually enjoyed about the Clara storyline was that initial uh, early on relationship with the Capaldi Doctor where she was trying to get her head around it. And I, to be honest, like I've really enjoyed Yaz this season and Dan has been fantastic as well. I I would quite enjoy seeing them hang around if they uh, managed to go through to the Russell T. Davis era. But I, I guess he'll just want a clean state. Do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think when a new showrunner comes in, it would feel like you're better off not having the baggage of the backstories of these characters. I think also that's usually what you do to help bind an audience uh, warming to a new doctor like Clara did going from Matt Smith to Peter Capaldi was a big shift a big big shift in casting for what had been young charismatic handsome poster boys playing the doctor to now being what it was back in the classic era of an older guy so you needed someone that the audience could look at and go well if you accept him i do too but i feel i feel like russell t davies has a plan in mind and he needs an an empty an empty slate to do it Yeah, I have a feeling that's the way it's going as well. And look, uh, as anyone who listens to this podcast knows, I work out a running order of questions and then invariably you and I then suddenly go on all these (laughs) different uh, tangents. But it does kind of feel like we're potentially heading towards a crisis on Infinite Earths DC Comics reset. Uh, we have uh, the universe dying. We are told that's inevitable. We've had Azure tell us that there is a galaxy that she knows about that is uncorrupted. And I don't know, are we seeing the universe that the timeless child is from that is dying? Or is, and maybe the Doctor's accidentally travelling between the two universes. Maybe that's mm-hmm. what's wrong with the TARDIS that's getting infected with this other universe. Or maybe they are going to reboot the whole thing and just suddenly give not only a clean slate, but maybe something that tidies up the timeline to a certain extent. Uh, how do you feel? Like, And what would you prefer to see? I, I, I think there is multiple timelines going on. Mm. I think Bell is long gone. I think this ends horribly right. where... She and Vinda, or Vinda, because I guess we're really following it from his point of view. We get to see her stuff, but I feel like this has happened so long ago. Yeah. Uh, Vinda getting taken out of his timeline thrust and thrusting him in with the Doctor has put him, I don't know, thousands of years into the future away from Bell, and any reunion is going to be to find out that she's long gone. Right. What does that mean for the child, of course, is the big question, but I don't think that Bell and Vinda's timelines are happening anywhere at the same point. Yeah. To to that end, I think the re, the 
recruiting, the extraction of the planet of uh, people from Pisano. Pisano. Um, that went into Passenger were, I think, one of the three passengers we saw last episode that just got disintegrated. Oh, right, right. Oh, so I think oh. that was that extraction. A very clever thing I've noticed is, and I think it's intentional, that we have Swarm has done his regeneration so that mm. when we're seeing two different stories happening in the temple last week, we know which was past and which was, well, our present that we're watching with the Doctor and friends yeah. because his face is different. Yeah. However, Azura's face does not change. She has not regenerated or renewed. So when you see her on this planet extracting all these people, you don't exactly know when it happened. Oh, yeah, that's a really good point. Well, is it possible that uh, all of that stuff that we're seeing with them in the temple, maybe it's two lots of paths? Like there's the really early you know, billions of years before pass, and maybe we're looking at something that occurred thousands of years before. Well, also remember, the one thing I don't think we, we properly, I think we mentioned it at the time, but haven't mentioned it um, from last week. Right. Was when Vinda first went to the uh, temple and he said, oh, it's the Temple of Adripoor, and said, no, but it can't be because, and he got cut off. Oh, yes. So either he knows about the temple or has visited it before and it didn't look like this. Right. Uh, in the same way that he knew what a TARDIS was, as we right. mentioned last week. But that was another one of those ones I was like, that's right. I'd had a, Let's put a pin in that. He knows yeah. something about this. And same thing again with um, Belle. She knows about... She knows she's seen a, a passenger figure before. Yeah. She knows what they are. Doesn't know who Azura is, but knows what uh, one of these passenger holding prisons are. I'm still very interested about why it's a Lupari ship and whether that's just in the early stages was to say it can withstand the flux. Maybe that's what it is because we've already learnt that from episode from chapter one. But we keep coming back to every, she keeps referencing, I've got a Lupari ship, I've got a Lupari ship. I'm starting to think that we need, we're being reminded of that for a reason, but I don't know what that reason is yet. There's still lots of little things that are going on here, but Vinda and Belle are very learned characters mm. in this multi-universe that um, circumstance that is going on. So I think you're absolutely right. Different timelines in different universes happening at once because of the flux. The first time we saw the TARDIS breaking up mm. and getting the black goop was after the Doctor was shown the flash back, I guess, yeah. of... Um, swarm escaping and regenerating. Right. Which is where my thought of that being something or someone has gone back and changed time so he was actually able to escape, has disrupted everything, started the flux, the Doctor comes back to the TARDIS and that's when suddenly it was starting to bleed this goop and things were getting out of control. So I think, yeah, everything has just been from as far as a time and space point of view, completely ripped to pieces and is just floating around. 
It's interesting as well that Azur was being worshipped by all of these survivors as well. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it, it's an interesting little twist that yeah, obviously the universe is in a bad situation. Uh, like I, I think when uh, that guy that Bell finds, <laughs> it sounded like he was describing how many tablets you should take. Uh, take half of this, take three of this, yes. and that was him describing uh, what's left of uh, the universe. But uh, the, the desperation of the people left is uh, kind of setting up Azur and Swarm to be something even greater as well. Yeah, and I think we still need to find out what their grand plan is. So I feel like we saw the temple repaired. The doctor put the Muri back in last week. That's all done. Like that, We're not coming back to that now. Yeah. The temple, that was all a trap or certainly a plan yeah. to get the doctor to put the Mori in so we got these, basically the release of these little mites mm-hmm. that were buzzing around. Yep. So they're all over the universe because Bell saw them taking people out last week. Yeah. Swarm and Azure seem to have, like, captured a whole bunch of them, which they needed. Maybe having all these souls locked in a passenger case, is a, it, they want these mites to do something with all these individuals. And the fact that tonight uh, on, on this episode we heard the angels talking about quantum extraction and quantum is like the tiniest form yeah. something can make really. So it's like, okay, has the doctor got these, are, are these mite things that are floating around the exact same ones that we see as regeneration energy that the Tectaeum character extracted from the DNA of the timeless child? Oh, yeah, to right. Harness the regeneration process. So, have Swarm and Azure stolen all of these random people from around the universe to fill with these mites to have a giant army of. Uh, villains that can regenerate so will never die similar to what the master was trying to do with the cybermen it's very yeah yeah i love all this uh stuff i love all this quantum talk uh you know in quantum mechanics it states that electrons are both a particle and a wave and the mere act of observation affects the experimental findings so an electron can be a wave then once observed it behaves like a particle and i i love all of this stuff with the way it's incorporated into the weeping angels they don't that's move really while you're interesting looking. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, i love it when like real science is used in a way to really make episodes of Doctor Who pop and I think that's why I'm so into the Weeping Angels because it just feels modern and it feels new and it feels like it's got a got a nice little uh, jumping off point from uh, real life science yeah I, I in preparation for this episode during the week had a wonderful time going back and watching Blink oh yeah um, which wow that, that ages in, in many respects, age as well. It's still such an incredibly written story, directed to look terrifying. Yeah. And still just holds up. It's just such a – there's a reason it's an all-time classic. But it was, what, 2007? So you've got flip phones and a lot of references <laughs> to DVDs and Easter eggs, which have long since become dated <laughs> references. Um, but that made me smile. But that – was one of those ones you go, yeah, I, that still holds up and, and it's terrifying. The, the Weeping Angels instantly become something that was going to become a legendary monster. And then 
watching the time of angels and flesh and stone from the Matt Smith era, yeah, um, it started to become a bit, okay, well now we need to have something more to the angels apart from just, well, make them look at each other and they're dead. Or right. They're, they're frozen. So they needed to become a bit more empowered. But it started to, and then by the time you're getting to the angels take Manhattan where the Statue of Liberty is a weeping angel, you start <laughs> yeah. going, all right, we, we really need to step away here. Yeah, and this was really beautifully done to take them, take all of that that has been locked in as canon. They can come through a TV screen and get stuck in your eye and all of that. Yeah. However, let's go back to just what makes them scary in the first place. Yeah. Really, really worked for me. And second, Akinola's music. There was this sort of, oh. um, I don't even know how to describe it. Sort of like a. a not a warp, warp tartar sound, but like it was a, a droning, a sort of high pitched droning sound yeah. that accompanied the angels. Yeah. It was like their little theme that he's created was really nice. I really, really dug it. And uh, a lot of cool imagery and, you know, I think they were back to their scary best. It's funny with Moffat. He, he did so much stuff really well, but you could tell where sometimes Essentially, he had like a sentence or an image and he tried to craft an episode around that. And for me, the Statue of Liberty appearance of a weeping angel was super cool, except for the bit where none of it really makes sense. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Hang on. Is nobody looking at the Statue of Liberty today? Like, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) But, But I will give him that moment when they pop up. Really cool. But uh, I I feel like uh, one of the reasons the Weeping Angels have become one of my favourite villains, or possibly my favourite villains, is that they they often win. Or even if the Doctor wins, the Doctor takes heavy losses. And today it was a great premise with the Doctor trapped in a house with limited resources. It just, she felt like she was in definite trouble all the way through it. It felt like everyone she was with was in trouble. I'm wondering, is it possible the Time Lords created the Weeping Angels and they have gotten out of control over the years, now that we know that there's been this contingent working for the Division? Are we having a White Walker situation potentially with these guys? Yeah, absolutely. Look, they're they're also known as the Lonely Assassins when we first heard reference to them. So an assassin is a gun for hire, so it makes sense that they would be on someone's payroll. Um, and yeah, so this contingent of them that have possibly been imprisoned in this rock that was then crashed or, or sent to earth to be in this village in 1901, uh, could well be, yeah, this was a, a means of trying to get rid of them somehow, trap them, imprison them. So that makes that makes a lot of sense. That um, yeah, there, there is a little part of me that doesn't want them to get too much like the silence, as we've talked before. Yes. I think uh, uh, on our Patreon episode, people should can go and listen to that. Oh where yeah, they were a really scary monster until they became yeah thugs that just will take money yeah. and you can go up their, their acolytes for a, for the, <laughs> yeah. the church of the papal mainframe and you're like oh okay that i just like when they were scary monsters yeah same thing in this episode when they start to be able to communicate because you do need that you need to yeah uh, any villain needs a motive and you can't just have them 
floating around the galaxy, making people disappear and then sucking off the life force that never was. That's okay to a point, but from a scripting and storytelling point of view, at some t- at some point you need to get what they're thinking across. So to have that in this episode was really great, but I also want to make sure that they don't become endowed with too much personality because it kind of takes the fear away from them a little bit. Oh, yeah, that's a really good point. I thought it worked for this episode. Yeah. By the way, for everyone listening at home uh, and a little bit behind the scenes, uh, Rove and I are recording this. Uh, I'm in Sydney. Uh, Rove is in at Perth. And it was very funny. You glitched just for a moment as you finished off the words sucking off. And then I was like, I wonder where this is going. And then we caught up and I was like, oh, yeah, no, it makes sense. Life force. Why did my head go into that filthy area? Uh, apologies to anyone listening with children. But uh, the one of the things that was great about this episode was like when the drawing reformed and I thought we'll just burn it like that was my first thought as well and the writers were two steps ahead of us because they were like yeah okay we will burn it and now we have a burning angel and that was what a great bit of imagery and also great reaction from the doctor as well yeah yeah all of that was was utilized really well I think it was fantastic for Chris Chibnall to to look at all these parts of angel history yeah. that have been put in there. Again, the the idea of like uh, Amy had when she had the one in her eye and she would rub yes. her eye and all this all this grit would come out and haven't we all been there at some point in our lives? <laughs> just oh, yeah. rubbing your eye and it's all just <laughs> grinding out onto a, on yeah. the upholstery. Uh, anyone um, with kids knows the terrible word conjunctivitis. <laughs> <laughs> But all of that worked really well yeah. for me. Um, and, yeah, the, the idea that one of the angels goes rogue. How oh, tremendous yeah. is that? Yeah. There's an angel who's like, you know, I know something, and whether all the angels know this or not, but certainly one of them, I have the knowledge and I want to give it back to you. Obviously, it's, it's at a cost. Um, but that, I really like that yeah. as an idea. Well, it's almost like we were meeting the doctor version of a weeping angel. Yeah, right? It was yeah. one of those things that, uh, again, sort of in, in Star Wars was one of those disappointing things, that, that idea of, um, you know, we've created a, a stormtrooper who's gone rogue. Yeah. Um, and then we don't sort of follow it up in any way, shape or form. <laughs> right. um, but with this, I think it's a really that idea of, you know, we have seen somewhat in italics a good Dalek we saw you know we've seen a Cyberman like with handles that kind of became reprogrammed in a way so I like the idea that yeah with all these villainous monsters roaming the cosmos there are ones who might one day go or at least I can use this knowledge for for my own purposes and break ranks I think is a really great idea Oh yeah. Did you um so did you think they were trapped in that rock that was sent down to the village or do you think maybe that was part of the trap and they were kind of embedded waiting? Oh, I I thought maybe it was uh looking from the 1901 side of things. Yeah. It was intended to be a trap or a prison. Right. So they they have been locked in there. It's been ditched down to earth or being down, however, and they're just all locked in there, unable to, you know, be able to escape. 
And then the um, events of 1967 have allowed them to break out. That's how I see it. But you raising that question is a good one. Was it just the long con? Hence, they're making all the people disappear. Um, It's one of those, it's one of those loop things that, okay, it's, where is the starting point in this loop between who's come first and when? Because that's, I'm looking at that with Claire. Yeah. So Claire at some point will get back to, well, I guess it's 2021 when we first met her in Chapter 1. Yeah. She gets back to that point to be able to say, I've seen the Doctor. Oh, no, this is the night where I get zapped by that angel and I go back to the 1960s. Because she said even at that night, she said, I had all these flashbacks of had these visions of your TARDIS and all these sorts of things. So she's in a loop of just is going through the most. And she has this adventure in the 1960s. She somehow gets back to her time where she lives a life, but at some point bumps into this angel at her front door and goes back into the 1960s. And it just keeps happening and happening. Keeps in the happening. Uh, and we know it happens to Peggy at some mm. point. We can get into her story in a bit, but she is told by her future self, you do get back to your own time, but it takes you a while. So at some point, even though right now it all looks pretty bad for all our characters, at some point we all get back to the 60s or everyone, sorry, I should say, gets back to their original timeline. So does that happen with angels being destroyed? Right. Um, and it resets all this residual time that they ate up and undoes everything they have done? Or like you say, is it part of this, I don't know, when you're dealing with time travel, the idea of there's a trap that's been set but I did it 60 years ago or 60 years in the future is is when things can start getting interesting. And this is why having the showrunner in charge of the script writing is supremely important because he is a yeah, yeah, definitely. The uh, that's because uh, she wouldn't have. So initially, I thought when she said that that she was, you know, she stays in that place and that's her age. Like she gets back to that point by being that age. But that oh, actor actually, was, sorry, that could be that that could be true. Sure, in right. sixty years, that would make sense that she would be that old lady. Sure, but she still gets back there, you know. So even if that place is locked off. It's it still must continue, you know, back to normal at some point. Yeah, but, well, maybe that's right. Maybe what happens is, yes, yeah, she's she had she was a child there. Gets no, that's oh, now my my brain's going into a pretzel because so she's been too old. She was, the night that she was walking around, so yeah. she's a little girl, sixty yeah. years ago. Yeah, she, I don't know. She looks like she's maybe let's say she's ten. They say so she's she ten, don't they? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. So you, you could feasibly say she grows up to be the old lady that she talks to through, yeah. the, you know, through, through the gap in time. That makes sense. So she's done it the long way around. Um, so then the night that she's walking around in the cemetery in the 60s as Mrs. Hayward, she hears herself go missing again as yeah. everyone starts calling Peggy, 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 and she says, oh, it's happened again. Yeah. So that seems like... It's on a loop, but when you're dealing with these sorts of shows, everything happens at the same time. Like, yeah. well, when, was the time when was the first time she went missing? All oh, that time that she was walking around the cemetery. Yeah. 
So it's all being relived. Um, now that I think about it, having said that sentence, remember Claire said it's time to, I'm, I'm going to go home the long way around. So, right. um, yeah, all, all of that is still to come. Very, yeah. very interesting. It, it's interesting that you brought up Blink as well. I'm, I'm not saying that uh, the character of Claire reminded me specifically of Sally Sparrow, but she gave me a, a Sally Sparrow feel in the sense that I, she would have made a great companion. Like I've really gotten oh, yeah. into this character and we've only really had an episode and a bit of her, but the, once again, the writing has been so strong this season. You feel like you have a clean sense of who she is already. Yeah. I think that I don't know if it's a product of the story that's being told or, uh, or the way it's being told or because of uh, COVID yeah. that, we had to have a story that only had a certain amount of characters so we could get the same actors back every episode and create yeah. these little bubbles, which would make sense. But it really works. And as we were mentioning last week, I'm not necessarily sure where we're going to land as far as big reveals go. Like who's going to jump out of the woodwork? We know most of the monsters. We've got a te- teaser trailer next week that pretty much as the last of, or we knew that there was going to be an Ood and now we've got a reveal of Tate Lethbridge-Stewart. Oh, yeah. Um, that there's, if they're doing that, again, I still feel there's a big, big surprise. Is that surprise something in the writing? I think so. And I reckon it is an incredible job to write the characters that we all already have a whole bunch of new characters. Like I'm so invested. I want to get back to the Swarm and Azure character. I still think there's so much more to find out with them, and I do think we will. Obviously, the Bell character is really interesting and her relationship with Vinder and what's the importance of this child. Yeah, There's so much stuff in play here that if you suddenly said the Master's back or we're bringing back, you know, people mentioning the Rani and Omega. I don't think that's going to happen. That takes too much explaining as to who those characters are from a, a, an era that's long gone. Yeah. But if you did do that, I would say that's not what I don't. I don't want suddenly Misty to reappear. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> but you know, for 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 to use wrestling parlance, a cheap pop just to go. Yeah, yeah. but I want I want to know what yeah what Swarm's objective. Yeah. Where did he come from? Who's this old lady? What what are division's uh, reasons for wanting to needing to wipe the doctor's mind? Like that is now what I want more than what's my big surprise going to be? Yeah. Is there going to be a returning character? That's an incredible achievement, and they're going to do it in six episodes. Yeah, I can't believe there's only two episodes to go. It's so yeah. much. It's I so rich. Know, I don't know that we get the full division story. I still think no. with two specials to go, maybe that's where we we lead. Because if you wrap that up, what other satisfying outcome can there be to fill two specials? Yeah. Um, and I'm guessing one of them will be for the – BBC Centenary or whatever it is, Chibnall's equivalent of a Day of the Doctor. Like it's going to be a big event. It's not going to right. be like a Christmas special or I don't think we're just going to get, no, we're bringing the Daleks back. Right. I think this will be the culmination of the story. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's still so much of that to chew on. I think it's absolutely 
uh, incredible. And to one day find out, was this the plan all, all along or is it just a product of the environment they find themselves in with, with you can't have writer's rooms and all these sorts of things and too many actors in any one scene week to week um, will be very interesting because, man, I am loving this. I'm loving this as well. And one of the best things about it is I think creatively, often when you have restrictions, it forces you to, you know, rethink what you're doing. And and, and sometimes uh, being confined uh, artistically ends up uh, producing even more interesting and better work because you have to kind of think outside of the box. And I wonder if it's actually been kind of fantastic that all the plans were reduced because of COVID. Yeah, like I really enjoyed the Professor Jericho character mm. and the fact that he is going to roll on into another episode and maybe we'll see him again at some point, I don't know. But all the back and forth between him and the Doctor was great, like this yes. great sort of comedy back and forth where she was saying um, like – uh, what'd she say something about? Oh, I told you, I told you to stay upstairs. Yeah. And he's like, what are you talking about? This is my house. Yeah. <laughs> and and then when she said, like, he says, like, how did you get in? And she said, oh, you, your door was open. And he said, no, it wasn't. And she said, well, it was once I opened it, but let's not get bogged down in the order of things. Like their back and forth was really, really great. And then yeah. his little piece of backstory, this little throwaway line of being in Belson in the war, yeah. which I Googled later, and it's yeah. a concentration camp where Anne Frank herself spent her last days. Yeah. And and him uh, then standing up to the angels when uh, the idea of being told he would surrender triggered him into going, no, I will not. Yeah. And uh, was like this character suddenly just became fleshed out in a, in a scene um, uh, and also, you know, when they start talking to him in his voice, like playing on your insecurities yeah. to, yeah. you know, there was all those lines about you're, you've always, you're always losing to a better man and you're hiding from yourself and studying everyone else's minds because you don't want to look into your own. You go, oh, okay, he's got a secret to tell. He's got a story that might come out. Um, and as much as he said, please stop using my voice without my permission, it's very impolite. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, it was, that was really gripping for me. And I'm taking note of the fact that we were told on multiple times he's recorded his sessions with yes. Claire. Yep. And he wanted to put the headset on the doctor and Claire when they had their little mind meld. And even then afterwards, he said, oh, this is going to be great for taking notes. Is all of that important for everything that's happening around them with the angels and everything else? Someone's documenting this for them, even as their own characters or someone else at some point to use against the angels. So little things like that along the way. But, man, I just thought what a great character and the credits roll and you know he'll be back next week. That's Yeah. This is wonderful. I'm enjoying every single part of it. Oh, yeah. I was totally into uh, The Professor as well. He's uh, played by the uh, brilliant Kevin McNally, who uh, you probably would know him from the Pirates of the Caribbean movies as uh, probably oh, his it, biggest profile. Big yeah, yeah. And he's really good in those of films. Um, did you see, uh, just as a side note, because uh, he, he said that he's appearing in three episodes and uh, a whole lot of fans started congratulating him because they looked at the, the way he was dressed, heard he was in three episodes and thought he was the new doctor 
Well, why not? <laughs> and he had to say, you've got to be careful about these uh, things that you say online. But, uh, but yeah, I was totally into The Professor. And I, all those things that you mentioned, all those moments were really entertaining. And, uh, yeah, I wonder if there is like a backdoor way to defeating the angels through, uh, through his uh, mm. recordings. Yeah, and certainly, you know, with um, him a- a- as a character, how that will come into play to a military man, that background is going to be interesting to see where we head next week. Yeah. Um, and uh, the showdown between the Doctor and this rogue angel inside yes. Leia's mind was, again, an interesting thought that um, at this point I'm trying to work out, I'll put the question to you, what do you think, in a very specific sense, the doctor is looking for? Like what answer do you think she's looking for? Because where I sit as a viewer, I'm like, well, I, I think I get what's happened here. She was a hired gun for the division and we know that they're not very likeable. Yeah. She's obviously either wanted to go against it or or you know, quit or expose them. So they've wiped her mind. Um, and then now she's gone off to be this character, the doctor. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we kind of know what's missing there. How big it is, I don't know. But I kind of feel the gap is getting smaller as to what it could be. Yeah. Um, so what is it she's she's trying to get out of it it still seems like it's it's quite big to her is it just like i want my memories back or is there more to it yeah it's interesting isn't it that's uh, something that i've been wondering about as well is there is it is it something as simple as if the fugitive doctor is uh, you know obviously a version of her that she cannot remember and the fugitive doctor must be in the past because she has no idea about our current doctor so is it is it just as simple as if she finds out who that is that will then sort out a blank spot in her timeline i did notice uh, there has been a suggestion online that maybe the fugitive doctor exists between the second and third doctor you know when the doctor's captured by oh, the time sure. lords and then and, you know, maybe when he was in custody, he was working for them and then he gets turned in, she gets turned he, into. He did, and that was kind of a forced regeneration where there was a yeah. bit of body shaming where one of the one of the potential bodies put forward, <laughs> he, he, uh, he body shamed, we'll just leave it at that. Um, <laughs> so, yes, that's a possibility because, uh, you know, he, he went from black and white to colour, so that was a big change. Anything could have happened. Well, then doesn't um, that make sense if it's Patrick Troughton going to <laughs> Dr. Ruth? <laughs> Look, yes, indeed. Um, there is, uh, yeah, that, that's that's a possibility as well. I do, I do think. Okay, what what could it be? Because at the moment, it seems like there's only so many pieces of the puzzle that are left. Yeah, it really is just about where where the Ruth doc. What is the timeline here? There has been a thought that's crossed my mind today that was the doctor the one that uh, we still don't know who sent division to uh retrieve ruth mm-hmm. from uh being you know hidden yeah uh, who even hid her in the first place so i'm trying to think was that something that the, i'm trying to work out what's the reveal what would be a reveal that would have you go, oh, my God, after all this time, 
Yeah. Here's where the dog slots into the division. And it's not just she used to be part of it, didn't like it, tried to stop them. So they wiped her mind so she wouldn't have any recollection of it. So she would just toddle around the universe. Like what, what is it? What's the big, you can't know this when there's speculation. Okay. We have been told the doctor is the timeless child. Either she is, which seems like for me, not the way we're going. Cause we've been told that. So it's, it's to me, it's not that right. If you've been told the doctor is the timeless child by her arch enemy and there is no proof because it's been redacted, then that says to me, well, she's not the timeless child, so who is and is it important? And if she's not the timeless child, then what's the secret? What's the big secret? And that's the part I can't quite work out from what's in play here. But um, for the angel character to say the only thing that's more important to Division then the secret of you is actual you. Yeah. Um, you know, the Time Lords have been able to grab the Doctor whenever they want. Sometimes they've even used the Doctor to do their dirty work for them. Right. Um, so why would they want this version of the Doctor back? Yeah. So this, I'm about to make a suggestion that could possibly not hold up as soon as I say it. You might just be able to <laughs> put a pin into this. But it comes from, I like the idea that the Fugitive Doctor regenerates into the William Hartnell Doctor. Like, I was really into that as an idea. Um, could could the timeless child be his uh, granddaughter, I say, in inverted commas? And that's why he left her somewhere you know it wasn't he he left her oh, hidden. you know what i've long had a just itch that needs to be scratched i need susan resolution so the first doctor traveling around <laughs> with his so-called his so-called granddaughter yeah has never ever ever been explained yeah um you know it's easy when it's set up because well he's an old man she's a young girl they're both from the same planet supposedly, when we set it all up, you know, some 60 years later, you're like, yeah, well, to be a grandfather, you need to have had a child and that child to have a child. Yeah. Um, Stephen Moffat tried to just help Cannon out by having a throwaway line with Peter Capaldi saying, I ran away with the president's daughter. It might have been a granddaughter. I can't remember. Right. Um, so that she too was just a stowaway like him and they, you know, came up with a, an identity. But now you mention it, I'm thinking, geez, what if uh, that's who Vinder and Bell's child ends up being and the doctor is like, well, I'll take care of your child for you. Yeah. As the first David Bradley, William Hartnell doctor takes this child under their wing and and then heads off into to go and stop division or just go travel around time and space that could work that could be good and it also stops you know with a a resolution like that it stops us from having mm. to go through who did the doctor marry what was the wedding like what yeah, was the meal the, like I, I was thinking again today because I watch the episode, have a think about it, and then watch it again before we get to chat. And 
one of the things I was thinking about was, okay, I think most people by now would be starting to go, okay, what's the significance of Bell and Vinder and this child? Yeah. Is this child become this child? I mean, it all sort of seems to be pointing in that direction, which says to me from Chris Chibnall, the guy who wrote Broadchurch, that's not the way it is because just when you go, oh, it was this person, you realise, no, nah, that was just a red herring. The, the real villain is hiding in plain sight and not where you think. So I'm sort of looking at it with this, with this same set of eyes and I'm thinking, do I want to know who the doctor's parents are? Which means do I care who the doctor's parents are? No. No. So if you say Bell and Vinda are the parents of the timeless child and the timeless child of the doctor, which seems to be what we're slowly being spoon-fed, I don't know that that, A, would be the obvious outcome because it is obvious, and B, I don't know if that's really something that I would care to know about. But the Susan character does interest me because we've seen this character. This character exists in story as his granddaughter. He left her on planet Earth and in the future and said, one day I will come back. He never has. That's something I have still wanted to have rectified, yeah. which, oh, my God, I've just got to blow my own mind. <laughs> Maybe there's still one. There's still one big surprise. There's still one big. Oh my effing god! Yeah, that they could pull out, which is the actor who played Susan Carol Ann Ford is still alive. Oh, and I have always thought you can wrap up her storyline while she is still here. Yeah, even just to go. The doctor always said he would come back and he never, ever, ever has. Yeah. If you get the chance, go Google Peter Capaldi at the Doctor Who experience, talking to a bunch of school kids in character and someone asks a question, do you have any regrets? And he in character laments the fact that he promised his granddaughter he would come back and never has and gets theory. It is incredible. Capaldi. So I always (laughs) thought... I always thought they would make Capaldi's doctor do that as something before he finishes off. I thought maybe Bill would be that character. Right. So the fact that she still exists to me is like this is a golden opportunity. Don't have it something that gets – it has somewhat been done in Big Finish, the audio dramas, but it's something that the show could do and I don't think requires too much heavy lifting to reveal, oh, there was in the first incarnation – his granddaughter. We've seen it in Time of the Doctor, I think it was, and the pre-credits where he's about to jump on the, the blank TARDIS and Clara stops him. So it's an easy thing to pick up without having to give too much history. Wow, that could happen. If Chris Chibnall pulls out Susan at the last minute, oh, my God, I will openly weep. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fantastic. Not that I necessarily want you to weep, but it would be weeping with joy, right? I so- will, I will <laughs> fist pump the air. I will fist pump the air like when I saw Peter Capaldi's eyebrows in Day yes. of the Doctor. Oh yeah, one of the great, uh, one of the great uh, eyebrow cameos. I'm telling you, there's something. Again, we've got a reveal that we've got Kate Lethbridge-Stewart next week. Uh, the Grand Serpent is back, and well yes. done you for picking. There's maybe more to this guy than we thought. Yes. Um, so, so this I and what that's our penultimate episode. So, what could it be that uh, that the Doctor? has on Division and they have on the Doctor that is so huge. If it gets out, it's catastrophic. 
Oh yeah, and it's uh, you know the, the Grand Serpent. I'm I'm still wondering if that's the first iteration of Swarm, and uh, oh yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not saying. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It was it was interesting seeing the Grand Serpent turn up. Also, uh, really excited to see Stuart back. Like she's such a good character so that was exciting as well you know the other fascinating thing about the coming up scenes was there was no doctor oh yes which is very nicely done yeah so we don't get the i mean you assume everything's going to be okay but you know you don't want to just have it ruined for you like that yeah um and who knows yeah we could still have a couple of episodes to go and and we don't know so what's interesting is that she's been converted into an angel and how that was done is like this, um, whatever the line was, you've been recalled by division is almost like a triggering word that's been, yeah. you know, born identity style sort of yeah. buried in the subconscious that triggers this. Well, this is how we, I don't know, transport our, our prisoners or our, our minions. So that's really interesting. And it's also good for all those cosplayers out there who you know are now going to be coming up with some uh, Stone Angel Doctor Who outfits. So, And again, if you like to make a cheap and easy collectible, you take a Weeping Angel doll action yeah. figure, you get a 13th Doctor action figure, you take one head off, replace it with the yeah. other, paint it grey, put it in an exclusive San Diego Comic-Con only packaging. It will cost you a hundred bucks. Yeah. Done. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Rove on eBay in the future. Um, I, bought yeah. I bought my Sensorites uh, <laughs> box set the other day and I'm a very happy man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fandom. Why are you so expensive and tricky? Um, <laughs> so, you know, uh, with the division, do you reckon uh, they've been working this whole time in secret or have they been brought back online by the current issue with the flux and swarm? I think it's the latter. I, yeah. I, I do think there's uh, the the master for having the revelation that the division even exists yeah. was, was one thing, but I think flux, the flux event which I think I'm still trying to work out who's responsible for it. Yeah. Whether, again, this old woman that we saw last week, still no explanation of that. Uh, no follow-up on who she was. But, again, as you and I were talking, like this whole world seems to be being ripped apart. Even the, what's the line, time is cronky at the moment. Yeah. The, the guy when he met Vinder at the end in our wonderful Marvel mid credit sequence. Oh, I know. Because um, I was looking at the time code and just yeah. going, oh, it's like there's 10 minutes left on this episode. And then it finished and I was like, wait, what? Oh, yeah. well, that's a long credit scene. <laughs> well, well, maybe I saw- we get a big a big um, next time trailer or something. Right. Well, I saw Vinder's name come up in the credits. And I was like, oh, that's weird. He wasn't in the – and as I was, I was thinking that we had the after credits scene. I think there's been a lot of disturbance – in uh, everything being ripped apart, which maybe has exposed Division and they need to clean it up, but we don't know for sure. 
It's uh, all very exciting. I only have a couple of other things that I wanted to... Uh, th- these are just a couple of notes that I wrote. Uh, the, the Doctor debating the weeping angel surrounded by a large body of water. Uh, I love that because uh, Carl Jung observed that the vastness of ocean uh, symbolises the vastness of the unconscious mind and Jungian therapy is always aware that much goes on in the depths of those oceanic waters. So as a as a bit of imagery for her to be talking about right. what she doesn't know about. I found that to be really tasty. Uh, not a lot of Yaz and Dan per se, but I did love Yaz just having all her police skills come to the fore Absolutely. in that moment. Loved that. And, and especially, you know, it, it being at the expense of Gerald, who <laughs> what a fucking prick that guy was. And look... <laughs> No, no shade on poor Peggy, but when, um, you know, Gerald and Jean get zapped away by the angels that apparently no one survives getting touched twice. Right. Her line is, and Jazz is like, oh, geez, I'm so sorry. And she says, oh, he was never nice to me. And, and we've been set up. He's a very unlikable character. Yeah. And go, I think Jean was okay, wasn't she? Yeah. I, Jean, Jean said well, she was all right. That was my other note for you, which was, wow. hey, I, I understand you're that happy. Cold, yes. Fucking cold. That's so funny. I had exactly that. I, that was literally my last note for you, which was, geez, Peggy, harsh on Jean. Like, she seemed quite lovely. Jean <laughs> is, uh, she is stand, stood idly by, I think, and Peggy has been taking names. Um <laughs> My only other little things yep. were I it, uh, a lovely ta- um, fan wank reference to reversing the polarity of the neutron flow is always it was good. great, great. Never um, get sick of I it. I loved seeing the shots. Uh, Jamie Magnus Stone, well done, the director of this episode, for a shot from the perspective of inside the walls of the TARDIS with the oh, wires yeah. when the doctor at the start was pulling out the cables. Yeah. You get a shot from. I don't think we've ever seen that before, looking yeah. from inside at the doctor, looking through the little hole. And one final thing I need to just 100% double check. Mm. I think our closing credits theme was the 1960s version of it as we were in the 90s. Oh, yeah, because I did notice that it was different and uh, it just wasn't quite it's, it's sure. Not, it was certainly, I don't think it was specifically that. I think it was a, a Seganacanola redo of the 60s thing. Oh, man. So good. I'll download that for 100 bucks as well. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, I should let you go so you can make sure that you get it ASAP. But uh, another great episode. I feel like this season has been fantastic. It is, you know, as I said, knowing that she, uh, Jodie has already filmed her last scene is like, oh, man, every episode now, it feels like, oh, we're getting closer to something irreversible happening for this Doctor. And, you know, I think maybe this this might be, uh, even though we've been kind of a little bit frustrated with uh, certain aspects of the first two seasons for Jodie's Doctor, maybe they're about to buck the trend and it'll be her final season which will actually be this doctor's best season which i think would be great for jody i mean what a send-off what an absolutely huge send-off this already is turning out to be and and knowing that you know the the big reveals are still to come uh i absolutely feel that that it will be well earned and uh, as we mentioned last week, I would happily have this be 
this is what Doctor Who is in in the two thousands and beyond. I think it's I think it's fantastic. I'm I'm loving it. I'm gripped. You could have a Doctor Light episode next week, yeah, and it wouldn't matter because we've built up our other characters around her so powerfully that I could see any one of them taking the reins and um and and holding the episode together. Because I'm, I'm really connected with each and every one of them, even like the Professor Jericho who's only yeah. arrived this week. So, <laughs> so you know, bring, bring it on. As much as I don't want this to end and I know it's coming soon, um, man, I'm just enjoying it and can't wait for the next one. Yeah, no, I am exactly the same. Uh, I'm kind of excited at the prospect of maybe a, a Professor Jericho, Yaz, Dan, Bell, Vinder Claire episode with nary a sight of the doctor and uh, that could be quite exciting yeah and uh, and swarm is back both the ravages are back next week so it seems we'll get a bit of a reveal of their plans from what tiny soundbite we got and the grand serpent yeah what is in store with whatever remnants of unit are left and a, and a nude and we get nude oh yeah it's good to have a nude back as well i didn't know one was coming so when it popped up in the uh, to be continued uh, scenes i was like great bring them all back well i know you hadn't seen the trailer so when i kept saying oh we've got returning monsters i know we still hadn't heard to come i mean you know there's not much an ood can really give you but um yeah. <laughs> uh they're not it's not playing a huge card but um, that, as far as I know, is the last of our, our big reveals. Yeah. And uh, although, again, we got the, the Kate reveal as well in the, in the Next Time trailer. So uh, now it becomes very interesting for me as to what is left. Can't wait. Yeah, no, neither can I. Uh, always great to see you and doubly so when we have such amazing episodes of Doctor Who to discuss. Good to see you, Rove. You're welcome. Should we have a noisy outside? Thank you to Rove for helping me unpack that fantastic episode of Doctor Who. We were discussing after we finished recording, you know a TV series or a movie or a book or whatever is really punching your buttons of imagination when you just want to speculate and you're having fun speculating and you're coming up with all different types of angles and all different types of thoughts and it's just so much fun and I'm really loving this season and I'm grateful that I've got someone like Rove that I can sit down with and record these podcasts with you. You you want someone who's going to be as excited as you and uh, we are definitely very excited men. And also a big thank you to our Patreon subscriber for the episode, Megan. Uh, Your support and messages are thoroughly appreciated, uh, as it is with with everyone who listens to this podcast. Uh, If you'd like to discuss Doctor Who in a fun and safe environment, and what I mean by safe, I just mean you can come in and you can have a chat and and no one's going to make fun of you for your ideas or your thoughts or, you know, it's it's just a lot of great people who just want to chat about things. Come over and you can join our private Facebook page. Or, you know what, if you'd like to leave us a top review at Apple Podcasts, that would be a lovely way of helping our little show continue to grow. We always finish with a quote, and I found this one by writer Chris Chibnall that I think sums up the reaction I had to this episode quite beautifully. So actually, for Doctor Who, you want it to be the show with all the emotions and all the feels, really, and that you've had a good emotional workout 
from laughter to tears to fear and excitement. Almost sums up the very episode that we watched today. I'll be back tomorrow. Until then. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.